if I slept a hundred years and woke a day before I died, would my dreams be my reality and the waking world a lie? And when such dreams can seem so real while I am under sleep's thrall, how sure am I that what I feel right now is real at all? Lord Sonos the Fourteenth, Poet Laureate of Galandria, hours before his death. From Elderblade Productions, this is Echoes of Exesar. Episode 10, Demon's Teeth. little time for goodbyes. As the Maroon Lagoon pulled out of Sunscape Cove, I bade farewell to the Salamanders. Obsidian handed me the Alzarian Reader, along with a handful of focus gems. Good pay for good work. We were helping each other, Obsidian. You don't have to- I know I don't. I choose to. As I've mentioned, my people are serious about honoring debts. I looked down at the focus gems. There were six in all. Two of them glowed deep blue, like the ones Merriweather used on Fade's men. Two were a luminous yellow, the ones Obsidian kept with him during the game of Dog's Luck. The final two were empty, clear glass balls bound with metal bands. Obsidian pointed at the last pair. In case you need to store something for the road. I have no idea how they work, but I figure a kindred like you should be able to suss it out. Nodding, I pocketed the focus gems. Thank you. Don't mention it. Just... Obsidian searched the sky, looking for his next words. Vondar, this Everwake you search for, if it has anything to do with my people... I pray you will not judge us by the actions of a few. The sleep debt can make the sanest Urso into a shadow of himself. I held his words in my heart a moment. Admittedly, I didn't have the fondest thoughts of the Urso. Obsidian threatening me at the fadeaway didn't exactly help my image of their kind, either. But there was a weariness to the bear man's words. Out on the open seas, he had likely grown accustomed to being an ambassador of sorts. And then there's this curse, I thought. Surely it must take a toll on every Urso. I had always believed an Urso's hardiness came from the wilds. Big, loud things. The blustering ice winds of the northern wastes, the sickle snakes of Bladefang Mountain. Now I could see there were other dangers for them to brave whispers of judgment down a city street, their own failing bodies, quiet, invisible, constant threats. Smiling at Obsidian, I held out my hand. You have my word. 
smiling back, he took it. I grit my teeth to keep from wincing as my hand was crushed inside his, along with my wrist and part of my forearm. They do have a strong grip, I thought. If we're quite done, Captain Swift called out from the helm. Sorry, lads, but we've got a very angry demigod to outrun. You'd best be off, Mr. Von Der. Unless, of course, you'd like to stay. She flashed me a mischievous grin. I met her gaze, then looked around me at the lagoon's crew. Fitz was ordering crewmen to inspect a sail's rigging. He looked surprisingly competent in his role, even if he was doing it in his rageful ram costume. Elsewhere, Merriweather was airborne, circling the ship while she inspected the hull. Despite their harrowing escape, there was an energy to the air, a hunger for adventure, and what lay just beyond the horizon. Not today, I said finally, but if we ever meet again down the road. No roads out here, sailor, Captain Swift winked at me, but you got a deal. I stored the reader in a spare pack the salamanders lent me. With a final wave, I dove off the side of the ship, slicing into the cool cove waters. I swam towards the sand dunes behind the crag at the edge of the cove, where the mist door lay half-buried. Pulling myself up onto the shoreline, I climbed my way up to the door. I paused a moment, looking back at the maroon lagoon soaking in the fresh air and sunlight I'd come to miss so much. Then, I touched my hand to the door and was plunged again into darkness. My body froze. The shadow tunnel swirled. Again, Exeser sang to me in her myriad tongues. Miners whistling in a cave. A bar fight set to jeers and lively music. Arrows slashing through prey in a forest. Cries of elation, intimate murmurs, a blast of doves through the tree line. I saw the pinprick of light at the end of the tunnel. It opened up, and before I knew it, I was stumbling out of the mist door. The ebon mist was just as I'd left it a level plain with an army of doors, gray sunshine, storm clouds, dead cedars imbued with ghostly light, oppressive black mist. I had scarcely regained my bearings when I saw Isolde and Quinn standing to my side. Isolde's appearance had changed, as it sometimes did. This time she appeared in a lithe, taut body. A pair of black antlers sprouted from her forehead, the points of which were adorned with various jewels and beads. Her eyes were pitch black and overly large, as they were before. Long, green hair that matched her flowing emerald robes but did little to cover her jutting, pointed ears. Quinn looked the same as before, though perhaps a bit more sleep-deprived. Her eyes were baggy, and her brass eyes swirled a bit more sluggishly. Her red hair was wound into a bun, and she had removed her many earrings from before. I don't think she changed out of her overalls and boots since I'd seen her last. Her servant drone was with her, hovering directly above her head like a clockwork halo. "'You return,' Isolde said, unceremoniously. "'Where is the reader?' "'Good to see you, too,' I said. "'I'm fine, by the way. Thanks for asking.' Quinn gasped, 
pointing at my bandages, my blood-stained tunic. Hey, you got... is that... Oh boy. Toast. Shut up, Toast. He does not look like crap. I winced. You named the drone Toast? If you can't beat him, join him. Now what in the pit happened over there, Von Der? I shrugged, holding up the phantom ring. Turns out thievery is dangerous work. You know, would it have killed you to have added some armor to this thing? Would it have killed you to have been more careful? We're the ebon mist, Von Der. Keeping to the shadows is kind of our thing. Don't tell me you caused a ruckus up there. He attacked the warden, Isolde growled. Everyone hushed a moment. Isolde's black eyes stared me down. Quinn's jaw dropped. The... I'm sorry, did you say the warden? He's kin with a man named Lennox Fade, I explained, reaching into my pack. He won the warden's power in a game of dice. Together they control Sunscape and everything trafficked there, including this. I tossed the reader to Quinn. She caught it with a grunt, stumbling backwards. Her momentary irritation was replaced with sudden awe and a squeal of joy. You should have been more careful, Isolde said. Her chiding remark cut me. I glared back. We needed the reader. I got it. That's what matters. I decide what matters. We had a ceasefire, the warden and I. Thanks to you, I imagine that's over now. Her lack of gratitude was stunning. Her derision maddening. I laughed, incredulous. <laughs> you throw me to the wolves, and you dare criticize how I managed to survive? I nearly died for this. Needlessly. A good tool makes work simpler for its master, not more complicated. And what work is that, exactly? I stepped forward to Isolde. My fingers twitched. Blood pounded in my ears. You give me a name that isn't mine. Send me off to die for a cause I don't know. To save lives of loved ones I can't even remember. Why, Isolde? Give me at least a semblance of a purpose in all this. Isolde's large eyes narrowed. Not so much with anger, but amusement. You are immortal. A grain of sand on the beach. It is not for you to understand. Or to question me. Treat a man like a fool and he'll act one. Come now. Is it truly so unknowable? You've sent me to save lives, meet justice on the wicked. I've banished frights and consorted with the dead, and I'm not the only one. I know dozens like me are doing the same in your name. Surely it's all leading to something. Isolde said nothing standing monolithic before me. Then, she snorted, her lip edging into a grim smirk. We do not have time to discuss this now. If you would still know, ask me when this crisis is over. With that, she swirled her hand. The planes of the ebon mist congealed into shadows, spinning into a maelstrom all around us. A moment later, they dispersed, and we found ourselves in Quinn's laboratory. As I took in our new surroundings, 
Isolde gestured to the reader in Quinn's hands. The chip, Vondaire, if you please. Reluctantly, I retrieved the Alzarian chip from my pack and gave it to Quinn. Together we made for an open space at the far end of her workshop, where she'd shown me her map of old Exeser. Quinn set the reader down in the middle of the floor. Turning the device around in her hands, she poked around at the different slots on the reader with the chip, searching for a match. She found one. The chip slid inside with a soft click. It occurs to me to warn you both, Quinn said. I have no idea what these things do when you... Before she could finish her sentence, the reader groaned with a series of guttural clicks and whirs. We stepped back as the ruby lens of the reader flashed with a brilliant red light. The same light flared out of the various holes and slots on the machine's brass casing. There was a mechanical spinning noise as we watched the lens unscrew itself from the casing. A dozen spindly, mechanical legs spratted out from underneath the lens, pushing off and detaching from the casing. The lens spidered its way up on top of the casing, its lens now pointed directly up at the ceiling. The lens began to shift its focus, and we watched the red light expand to cover the entire room. Shapes formed inside the light, which was beginning to take on various colors, textures, and details. Everything solidified until we were looking at an older woman, hurriedly squeezing through a narrow stone hallway. Were it not for a few distortions in the image, I could have sworn we were in there with her. The woman carried a torch in one hand, with her other outstretched and beyond our view, as though she were recording herself as she ran. It took a moment for my eyes to adjust to the image and realize who it was. My heart skipped a beat as the ghost in the machine spoke to us in a grave tone filtered through cracks and static. This is Eleanor Liger of the Ember Dawn, the old woman said. If you are watching this, it... it means I am not coming back. It was unmistakably her. Her face was burned into my mind, ever since I watched her take her last breath in Grey Sky. In this recreation, she had a fresh cut on her right cheek, which I recalled had become a scar by the time I got to her. She was much more spry than I had assumed, bending and twisting around the hallway's low ceiling and many jutting edges. I stood in awe, both at Miss Liger and the recreation itself. I'd seen illusions before, facsimiles, but for the Alzarians to capture a piece of time itself to be viewed at anyone's leisure. Not even Isolde's magic could do that, at least from what I'd seen of it. What in Exar was Miss Liger doing with this kind of technology? I am inside a labyrinth within Bladefang Mountain in the Urzai Nation. My mission is to investigate a series of deaths. Yes, that's what they are. I don't care what the bishop says. The five aren't coming for these poor sods. She took a deep breath, collecting herself. She looked back at the recording device, and at us. Eight 
high-ranking officials in the Rothian government, laying still on their floors for weeks. Anyone who touches them falls to the same fate. They still breathe, they aren't decomposing, but they won't wake up. I glanced over at Quinn and Isolde. Quinn's excitement at the device had been replaced by a grim solemnity. Isolde's expression was starkly flat. She watched with interest, but no emotion, while the light cast over her pale face like an abstract painting on a white canvas. Rumors have reached our ears of similar incidents in Solust, Galan, New Alzar, Azanra, Miss Liger continued. As she spoke, I began to hear running water gathering from somewhere, a lot of it. All people of influence, all with similar symptoms. This is nothing less than a shadow war on the powers of Exesa. No one knows how to stop it, but I've found a lead. With that, our viewpoint shifted as Miss Liger turned the device in her hand around to face what she was seeing. We watched her turn a corner. The hallway opened up to a vast waterfall, thundering through an aqueduct below her, flying out of the mouth of a massive cave, down the side of a towering mountain. The cave was high up, so high it seemed almost level with the clouds. Snow fell in leagues on the lands below. Inside the mouth of the cave, there were Urso, moving around crates on either side of the powerful falls. Fires were burning nearby, with wispy, mist-like smoke filling the air. I noticed large swaths of vegetation on the pyres, something vine-like and thorny. Moreover, there was something odd about the Urso, something about the way they moved, their gait, stumbling, listless, completing tasks with an almost puppet-like physicality. Amazed, I watched Miss Liger's device focus in on these Urso. As we got a closer look, I noticed something else immediately. Their eyes were all closed. They're sleepwalking, I said. On the side of the cave wall, there was a large map of Exeser. It looked like the one Quinn had deciphered from the chip depicting Exeser with a series of pathways and map markers. They all converged at the same central point, Alzar. The only difference was this map was current, meaning the spot where Alzar was supposed to be was now the Sundered Strait, a fetid hole in Exeser's heart, a poisoned, barren channel where nothing living could tread. The device spun around, and our perspective shifted again to Miss Liger's face. Those crates are carrying demons' teeth, she explained. Imported from Solust. I... I don't think the Urso down there are involved. Not willingly, at least. It's their great sleep. A kind of ritual hibernation their people have. But something's wrong. From everything I've read... Normally they just sleep, but this, it's like something's taken hold over them, infected them, made them into mindless slaves. Something to do with the teeth, I think. The way it burns, I'm sure of it. A bloodied roar tore out from behind her. 
Miss Liger spun around, and suddenly we faced a maddened Urso charging at her through the hallway. He caught Miss Liger before she could run. Our view blurred and fizzled as Miss Liger was thrown against the rock wall and pinned. The image resolved, and we caught a glimpse of the bear man as he huffed and snarled at her. White fur, a brown and red sarong, a necklace lined with braids of colored hair. He clutched at the fresh, gaping wound in his chest. Purple bags weighed down his eyes, which for all their fury could not hide how immensely tired he was. It's him, I thought with a chill. From my dreams. I'll see you dead for that, you hairless muckspawn. The Urso indicated his wound. You withered old crone. What fools have they in the Ember Dawn that they send you here alone? I'm uh, not alone, Miss Liger gasped. I have the five to protect me. And them. Suddenly, the Urso yelped in pain. Our view blurred again as Miss Liger was released and fell to the ground. We heard voices calling for her. The image resolved as she stood up. Two younger men, dressed in mail and wielding bows, stood at the bend of the hallway. Miss Liger ran past them down the hall, turning the recording device to face her. She spoke as she ran, her voice occasionally drowned by the Urso's cries as the men continued their assault behind her. Listen to me. I make for the town of Grey Sky, in the Rika marshes of Galen. I've taken samples of the demon's teeth in hopes that I can research its effects, perhaps find a way to reverse what is happening to the Urso. If you're watching this, then it means we, I, have failed. The Ember Dawn does not have the strength to fight these numbers by ourselves. I beg you, whatever aid you can lend, the situation is... Ah! Screams from behind. The white-haired Urso tackled the two men tearing into them with his teeth and claws. Miss Liger stole a glance back at them. Gold Snow, she pleaded. She returned her gaze to the device, picked up the pace, and the rhythmic pounding of the bear's footsteps gained ground behind her. I have to go. I'm sorry. The five watch over me. Ro, Ka, Jun, Om, Vi, protect me, please, protect X Caesar. The image fizzled out into a wall of red light. It narrowed and dimmed as the reader's lens contracted. The three of us watched in silence as the lens's legs scurried back into its proper place. It screwed itself back in, and the machine went dormant, leaving us to our thoughts. She did it to herself, Quinn said at last. Miss Liger poisoned herself with the teeth, trying to figure out its effects. It may not have been for nothing, I mused. When I inspected her body in gray sky, I sensed fright activity. She woke after I invoked the mist and mentioned Everwake. Then there were the guards that fell asleep when they touched her. One of them mentioned having a wonderful dream. A fright is using the demon's teeth as a catalyst, Isold said slowly. Whatever batch this woman took from has been cursed. 
burning the vines is releasing a smoke the fright can travel through, infecting those who breathe it, causing them to fall into a trance, asleep. Isolde, could there be a fright that feeds on the sleep of others, on their dreams? Such parasites exist, Isolde said evenly, but they would require a mortal bond one powerful enough to facilitate such hunger. How about an Urso who hasn't earned his great sleep? Or maybe the hundreds already sleeping up in that mountain, Quinn added. A skilled kindred could manipulate those minds into submission, using their dreams to power the fright even more. In that case, we may have a problem, I whispered. That Urso we saw in that recreation... I've seen him in my dreams. Quinn looked at me, her brass eyes lens dilating in shock. What? But you didn't touch Miss Liger, right? Of course not. But ever since that day, I've had the same dream. I'm standing on the surface of the ocean, and he's there with me. Then, then I hear something terrible from leagues below me. Some dark creature with writhing black tendrils. It attacks me, and then I wake up. And you were planning on telling us this when? Quinn squeaked. I... I didn't think anything of it. It was a bad dream, or so I thought. Until I saw his face in that recording. Then it's worse than we feared, Isolde intoned. Touching the victims puts one to sleep, but it seems just being in their presence can also have an effect. Panic filled my chest. I began to think of everyone in Grey Sky. Tosca, Gren, the soldiers. Also Pluck, and everyone who came across those two men who fell unconscious at his inn. The effects seemed to vary. In Grey Sky, they talked of nightmares, hearing voices. But Pluck never seemed to complain. Though, what use would a fright have for a barkeep? Maybe the person's role plays a factor, I suggested. That's why I'm experiencing more intense effects. It knows I'm kindred. It wants to use me. So let it. His old turn to face me her black eyes flashing, boring into my soul. Allow this creature to use you, and in turn, I shall use it. I stepped away from her. Are you insane? You saw what happened to those Urso. If it takes control of me, if it can overpower us in my domain, then it deserves to destroy us. We shall parlay with it, just long enough to see where it lives, what it is capable of, and perhaps how to end it. Which will risk letting it do the same to us. Isolde did not argue. She simply stared, expectantly. We both knew I would acquiesce. I was bound to. Then again... I knew if she wanted to, she could simply force me to sleep. 
Perhaps she thought she could placate me with the semblance of choice. Or maybe, by some sliver of chance, she actually wanted my permission. Isolde, master of the ebon mist, I thought. Unfeeling fright of shadows and in-betweens. Yet perhaps there lie a fragment of empathy within you. Just answer me this, I said softly. It sounds like this fright is hurting people, and will hurt many more. Does that matter to you? Isolde took a breath, sharp and full. Yes, Vondere. I have other considerations, but... Yes, I wanted to stop. I mulled her words over in my head. A lie? Perhaps. Yet take me for a fool. But I heard conviction in her voice. All right, I said. I am yours, Isolde. Isolde reached up with her hand and placed it atop my head. I felt a quivering of the air around me, a crackling of potential, and a sense of foreboding. Good, said Isolde. Then sleep. Her words echoed in my ears as Quinn's laboratory whirled again into smoke. I felt faint, weightless, so very tired. I closed my eyes, and a moment later, I was in the ocean. I stood on crystal blue water. Wind and rolling waves filled my ears. The sun shone hot on my face and neck. I looked around me. It was not long before I saw him standing mere feet away from me. The Urso with the white fur and the scar on his chest. This time, it was my turn to speak first. I know what you're doing, I called out. Eleanor Liger told us everything. The Ebon Mist will stop you. The Urso held the same stoic stance as before, yet brimmed with anticipation. He looked at me quizzically, considering my words. Yurosh Katar, he replied. Closed eyes are always lost, I translated. What do you mean by that? The Urso took a step forward. He opened up his arms to me. As he did, I noticed the horizon behind him begin to darken. The water beneath his feet turned greenish-brown and bubbling. From below, I heard the creature give its ominous wail. We can show you. We can tell you our story. Hesitantly, I stepped closer to the Urso. Again, the wailing from below reached my ears. I met the Urso's tired eyes. By now, half the ocean was the color of bile, boiling and noxious. The sky rattled with rage, ready for war. I hope you know what you're doing, I thought whether I meant Isolde, the Urso, or myself. 
did not know. I am Claude Von Der. I am kin of the Ebon Mist. I would have audience with the spirits of this place. I touched my hands to the sides of the Urso's head. He did the same to me. The mark on my forearm glowed ice blue. From below, the creature began to surface. The wailing became an all-consuming screech. From behind the Urso, an acidic tidal wave barreled towards us. As I met the Urso's eyes, I felt a force probing deep into my mind. I saw flashes of memory, another man's life. I felt his pain as if it were my own. Our beings melted together as our shared dream world began to crash, and the creature from below threatened to swallow us whole. I began to lose sight of myself, my identity. Where did he end and I begin? Soon, none of it mattered. The waves of the ocean crashed over us, as did the waves of this stranger's mind. I am Claude Von Der, I thought weakly, as my senses failed me, as I slipped into another consciousness. I am kin of the Ebon Mist. I am Von Der. I am... I am Kugabrakonak. I am the first claw of Chief Aura. I will bring redemption to my people. I will earn my sleep. Echoes of Exceser is written, produced, and performed by Nick Walker. Sound effects courtesy of GarageBand, freesound.org, and Sword Coast Soundscapes on YouTube. Link in the description. For questions or comments, email us at echoesofxcaesar at gmail.com.